Connor, I am sharing an image with you, and I want you to tell me what you're looking at. Okay, this is always going to be good for a radio audience. Um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but let's bring them along. We will post this on our podcast page at citiba.com slash podcast. Now, here you are. Okay, it's just rendered. Oh, wow. Okay, what have we got here? Well, you tell me. Describe what you are seeing for our listeners. Well, um, I don't know. It looks like it could be something from the Hubble Space Telescope. It may be like something like the Pillars of Creation, that famous photo looking deep into space, into the beginnings of the universe. And it's kind of bright, purple, pink. Yellows. Green. I mean, wow. Yeah. Is it actually a photo? What is it? Well, you would be surprised to know it is actually a close-up of breast cancer. Okay, so unexpected to see something so dark being so beautiful when you get really close to it. I guess those are all little um, cells in a tumor or something like that, right? They the are. beauty is extraordinary. And beautiful or not, what we're going to look into today is how the smaller you look at things, the bigger the understanding you get. Oh, I like that. And that's what matters on today's episode? Yes, sir. So these are breast cancer cells. What are we looking at exactly? What's the science behind some of this? The way we really look at it is by tagging things with fluorescent proteins. And so when you see the pictures, they are beautiful. And depending on what kind of proteins are being expressed, you either get huge swaths of one color or a mosaic of all these different colors. So they're they're really, really beautiful. And each one is unique. So no two pieces of tissue imaged this way ever looks the same. And that's kind of an indication of, of the variety of biology that we have inside all of us. Some of it helpful and some of it very harmful. But I have to say, as tragic as it can be, you always keep in mind that you're looking at somebody's disease and a life completely altered. They're just lovely. So that's kind of deep. Um, who's that? My name is Prachi Boghetto. I am a segment leader in diagnostics. And Prachi, who is our colleague, is going to help us look at the minuscule today. So I think about diving deep into the cell and all the different ways that technology now allows us to understand a single cell. And the very big thing from my perspective that comes from that is there's actually unique discovery happening. We're finding types of cells or cells in states that we had never seen before. And to me, that's huge. For all the years that we've been studying biology and cellular biology, to still be in a state of unique discovery is just, it's astonishing to me. I think that's the big thing about looking small. You know, for me, when I think of my old science class, I think of firing up that Bunsen burner, dissecting frogs, and of course, looking into that little black microscope on my desk. But Prachi sees things differently at the cellular level. So that little black microscope on your school desk still exists, and it's still a very powerful tool, but it's really the grandparent, if you will, of some of the tools that we have now to look deep inside cells. So if you think about super resolution microscopy, 
which allows you to look at an individual live cell. That's really an amazing tool. More than once, I've sat at what feels like an ordinary session showing a researcher what our technologies are capable of. And they'll say, well, look at that. I have never seen that before. So that little, that little desktop microscope that you used is all grown up and it's driving discovery at the single cell level. And then if you think about not just looking at cells, but trying to understand their function. So why do they look the way they do? Why do they make the things they make? What you're interested then is the genetics of an individual cell. And we have many, many different tools to understand the processes and the mechanisms deep inside the cell that wouldn't look like anything you're used to seeing through that microscope, but it's giving just as much information about what's going on inside that cell. Okay, I get it fundamentally, but does Pratchett have like a, a, for example, a for instance, I want to know what kind of information you can get out if you're, you can, if you're just looking at such a singular level of one cell? You're getting information on how that cell is different from cells that look exactly like others under a conventional microscope. So you're getting an understanding of what proteins is it making? Because proteins are really what drives all of life. So you see, we're back to proteins again. Uh, yeah, they do really follow us around on this podcast, don't they? They're like our third host, the recurring guest star. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like New York as a character in a rom-com. <laughs> I heard Prachi mention them before when she said that she tags fluorescent proteins when looking at breast cancer under the microscope. So what's the cameo for our protein superstar today? Different proteins are expressed differently in different cells. So you can see that at a single cell level. And then if you want to dig deeper, you can understand why those particular proteins are being made. Why are they being made in that abundance? Why are they being made across a certain time scale? And that really gives you a deep, deep look into the mechanics of that individual cell. And then you can take that and kind of explode it out to so many different things how cells behave in a normal state, how cells behave in a disease state. And really kind of the holy grail of all this understanding is to say, can we get to a point where perhaps we can alter that basic mechanism of a cell in a disease state and instead of treating a disease, stopping it from ever starting? So this takes us towards CRISPR, does it? Gene editing and modifying the um, instructions for life at a cellular level? Is that what we're talking about? We could. It might be a little bit of a short conversation because my knowledge is um, kind of kind of skin deep. But if you think about it just more broadly than that, right? How do we deal with disease now? Somebody doesn't feel well or a test looks a little bit off. You're chasing it after it's already happened in a lot of cases. And if you think about that at the diseases that we have from birth, right, genetic abnormalities, you're already playing catch up at the moment a child is born. So if you could kind of roll back time, if you will, and alter the DNA so that this disease state never happens, right? So we could talk about gene therapy because really that's what gene therapy is. That would be amazing. 
So what Prachi is describing there is single cells and understanding the proteins that a particular single cell is making and maybe teaching that cell to make a different protein. Or to behave differently even. Exactly, or have a different location. Right, so is that a different outcome in general from gene editing, or are we looking at something similar? I think we talk about CRISPR a lot in terms of what can it get us for broad manipulation. So for instance, there are people right now working on CRISPR-based vaccines for COVID-19. When I think about gene therapy, I think about personalized manipulation. So you wouldn't be looking to solve a really big population scale problem, usually with gene therapy. You're going after devastating diseases for sure, but in a smaller subset. So my understanding is cell at an incredibly detailed, minute level, you can tackle broad problems. Prachi says cystic fibrosis is a perfect example of this. So cystic fibrosis is a devastating disease. It's a genetic disease that typically impacts Caucasian males. You're born with it. Depending on the quality of care and your demographic, you may make it into your early 40s, but it's a very difficult life. And it presents as tremendous mucus buildup in the lungs, which makes it difficult to fight off life-altering and life-ending pneumonias. So what we understand now about cystic fibrosis is it's at the cellular level, a defect in what's called a sodium-potassium pump. And really all we need to understand about that is these different elements in our cells really control how those cells behave. So patients with cystic fibrosis have at a cellular level a genetic abnormality which makes the sodium-potassium pump in cells function improperly. And that is the reason why they have this terrible mucus buildup in their lungs. So the fact that we know that, that it's a sodium-potassium pump and that's a genetic abnormality is a huge discovery. And if we can find a way to alter the genes to get a properly functioning sodium-potassium pump, it changes and saves lives. But we had to dig way deep, way deep down into the cellular level of how ions cross membranes to get that understanding. Okay, this is absolutely fascinating. I think so too. And when I was chatting to Prachi about all of this, our conversation took a turn a bit closer to my comfort zone. You'll recall that I worked for many years in the telecommunications industry. So I asked Prachi if she ever thought about the parallels between science, where you learn so much from a teeny tiny thing, and the information communications technology industry, where massive information is all stored on super tiny chips. The piece that we don't really talk about when we talk about this ability to look at cells in this kind of detail is the computing power that all of that data feeds. And if you're feeding all of this data into computers, which are essentially electronics, the smaller and faster they get, the more and more information they can process, but the more and more data they need. They're completely symbiotic. One doesn't exist without the other. And we don't talk about that very much because we're so fascinated by what happens inside the lab. But once you get that data, that's where kind of the movement in computing powered towards smaller and faster really comes together. And this in turn led us into the world of Moore's Law, 
and this guy. Hello, my name is Christian Nolan. I work as the head of design and technology at Ericsson One, looking for the game changes that are going to propel Ericsson into the future. Okay, so Moore's Law. I mean, we're getting towards the edges of Moore's Law, really, aren't we? But why don't we um, remind people what Moore's Law is all about? Well, it's about the exponential growth, basically, you can say. I mean, in a nutshell, it's almost like a formula that actually held true for like, you know, a number of decades where the projection was that a tiny amount of increase in sort of like electronics created like this massive amount of effect over time and actually really like doubled the size of whatever it was. It actually made sense for a long time, it did, which was kind of strange. It was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way that almost like it felt like the industry just adjusted to that law saying like, all right, so this is the pace we're going to go for. So what that resulted in was basically having a lot of computing power in your pocket. And people often, you know, cite the it's become a cliche now that all of the computing power in our pocket was enough to take people to the moon. Right. We have we have more power in our iPhones than NASA had when they sent Buzz Anderson and everyone else to the moon in the 60s. Yeah, and we use it to share pictures of cats. It's brilliant. <laughs> Isn't it just? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, everything basically what we can see today is the result of that. It's almost like a law of nature in that sense that, you know, from the early days of computing to where we are today has actually followed that trajectory, that prediction rather well. Today, you can say that it's becoming slightly more complex in terms of like when you talk about information density, you can see that we, we're not like confined when it comes to computing power, when it comes to the way we analyze things and do things. We're not confined to one single processor. We're actually starting to see that like the benefit effects of scale, for instance. If you talk about massive computation today, it's not happening in one cluster. It can actually be distributed across like numerous of like chains and clusters that actually make the Moore's law kind of thingy more difficult to sort of like agree on. So for the second time, I'm going to ask for an example. Does Christian have something that explains this? Of course he does. And that is something called mixed reality. Sorry about the sound here. There was a lot of foot traffic around us when I met Christian because we were trying to socially distance, you know, from each other. So we had to be kind of outside and in a public place. Mixed reality is basically when you take virtual objects and you blend them with the real world. So uh, you've probably seen the Magic Leap goggles, where you look through a pair of goggles and you can see virtual objects mixing with the reality that you see in front of you. A lot of that sort of computation you can see in a mobile phone today as well. Is Apple and Google have those kind of like AR apps and, and functionalities. Everything today happens in that phone. All the computing happens there. What's going to happen over time and this is, a, this is not even a prediction, this is happening real time, is that you are getting to a level where you want to do so complex calculations that you, for battery reasons, processing reasons, cannot do that on a mobile phone. The technology isn't there. You don't have that sort of processing. The way you solve that is that you distribute the processing from the mobile phone to, in this case, you can actually place, you can place a processor in a base station, in an antenna, from mobile network, which is basically a very short distance. So you offload computation, and then you can offload even more computation further back onto like centralized data centers with supercomputers and stuff. So you can see that the computing done that you experience when you have your, your phone or your goggles on is actually happening across a chain of different devices. And I think that's where Moore's law becomes more difficult to say, all oh, right, yeah, it works. But it's still, I mean, it's still sort of there in a way. So this now brings us back to the biotech industry. Yeah, Christian told me that he thinks 
his industry, so information communications technology, will learn more and borrow more from the biotech industry going forward. The way you think about technology development is always that it has to do with like engineering, always has to do with like algorithms, mathematics, physics, whatever. But if you think about it, nature is among the most complicated organisms and systems there, there are basically. And there is a, actually a rather extensive body of like research and, and thoughts around what if we can actually learn from how nature has organized itself, how nature solves problems and apply that to new technologies as, as well. If you think solar cells, that's an interesting case. One problem that they have is that they, they get really warm from the sunshine, from the energy from the sun, and then they perform far worse. You can look at, for instance, uh, butterflies, which is interesting. In nature, they have uh, among the best capabilities to absorb heat. And I mean, they have really thin wings, but they do not burn. They channel that heat, and it actually has to do with biology. So the solar cell industry has started to look into that and say, oh, that's interesting. What if we do something that mimics that? And I think we can see a lot more of that. Nature organizes itself. The seeming chaos in, in organic systems that actually turn out to be really valuable, those kind of things. So this is absolutely fascinating. And we're, see we're seeing this in lots of different areas where like biological computing is potentially becoming a thing. And I'm kind of excited because we've been talking about the combination of biology and engineering and computing being kind of the 21st century's big leap forward. And this seems to be exactly where Christian says we're going. That's right. All the lines are blurring. There used to be separate industries, but the truth is we can all learn from each other, can't we? Because every day is a school day. And there we have it. <laughs> and that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to Discovery Matters. And rate us on your favorite podcast app. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye.